they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome, welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, the 14th of October. Uh, it's actually, um, pre, I'm pre-recording the show, but so this is not a live show today. Anyway, um, an app listener, an app listener, a donor, someone who listens frequently and, and donates very generously to Virgin Most Powerful Radio, ask a question about Amos. We had a reading from the book of Amos a little, not too long ago, a few weeks ago, on the daily readings, and it was from the Amos 6. So I want to address that reading, and um, I want to go through it. I went to the Fathers of the Church and their commentary on it. Fascinating, fascinating, fascinating. I'm, I'm so glad this person asked the question, because oftentimes I don't think of the questions, but if you ask them, then I'll research them, and I find out a lot of new things. So thank you so much for asking. So in the meantime, we'll Begin with a prayer in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And we ask the angels to join us here. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus. Dominus Deus Sabaoth, Pleni Suncelia Terra, Gloria Tua, Hosanna in Excelsis. Benedictus Quiveni, to nomine Domini, Hosanna in Excelsis. Holy Spirit, fill us with your light, and enlighten us with your truth, that we may speak your words faithfully. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So Amos chapter 6, and um, I'm looking here at the uh, Ignatius Press um, Revised Standard Version, Second and Catholic Edition of the Bible. And there, you know, and remember when the Bible was written, it wasn't divided into chapter and verse, and they didn't have all these headings. But the headings make it convenient for us. The heading here is punishment of complacency and pride. So what does it say in Amos 6? Woe to those who are at ease in Zion, and to those who feel secure on the mountain of Samaria, the notable men of the first the notable men of the first of the nation to whom the house of Israel come. Pass over to Cana and see and from there go to Hamath the great, and then go down to Gath and of the Philistines. Are they better than these kingdoms? Or is their territory greater than your territory? O oh, you who put far away the evil day and bring near the seat of violence. Woe to those who lie upon their beds of ivory and stretch themselves upon their couches and eat lambs from the flocks and calves from the midst of the stall, who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp, and like David invent for themselves instruments of music, who drink wine in bowls, and anoint themselves with the finest oil, but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore they shall now be the first to go into exile, and the revelry of those who stretch themselves shall pass away. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, what on earth? What is Amos talking about? Well, if you look at the book of Amos, it's interesting because you have um, Amos chapter 1. 
the judgment of Israel's neighbors. Amos chapter 2, the judgment on Israel, Judah, and the nations. Amos chapter 3, Israel's transgressions and punishment. Chapter 4, punishments of Israel. Chapter 5, a lamentation for the sins of Israel. And then, of course, we have chapter 6, punishment of complacency and pride. Now, what's interesting is, you know, you look at the passage, and there's a general looking at the passage, and there's a historical context in which this is taking place. This is before the 10 tribes have been sent off into exile. And um, the prophet is warning, and, you know, from, from this is going to be the punishment of, pride, of complacency and pride. And it, it talks about these, these people who, um, they lie on their beds of ivory and stretch themselves upon their couches. They eat lambs from the flocks and calves from the midst of the stall, who sing idol songs to the sound of harp. And like David, invent for themselves instruments of music, who drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the finest of oils, but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. What's interesting is every single one of those lines has references to things that have either happened or are going to happen. <laughs> and and it's, it's, a, it's just amazing. So what do we have? Um, if the specific question that was asked was, what does this refer to who are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph? What does this mean? Well, in the Fathers of the Church commentary, I came up with some incredibly beautiful insights into this. Um, and they are not grieved. Literally, grieve not themselves. They admit no grief. They shut out all grief. For the affliction, literally, for the breach of Joseph. Now, who was Joseph? Joseph, remember, is one of Jacob's 12 sons. He was the favorite. He is the father of Ephraim. And remember that in the book of Genesis, Joseph, because he was favored by his father, was hated by his 11 brothers. Well, 10 brothers, not Benjamin, but the other 10, the older boys. The older boys hated him because they were jealous of him, so much so that they would not even greet their brother Joseph. So they're going to kill him. He come, Jacob sends him out to bring some food to his brothers who are out tending the flocks at Shechem, and he goes out, and they come, and, and they see him coming, and they're like, oh, here comes that master dreamer. Let's kill him and make an end to him. We can tell our father that some wild beast attacked him and killed him. Well, Reuben says, no, 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 don't kill him. He's, he's, he's our own flesh and blood. Let's just throw him into the cistern over there. That's a dry cistern. Let's just throw him over there. Well, Reuben's plan was to take Joseph out of the cistern and restore him to his father. He didn't want to, first of all, Joseph is his brother. But second of all, he, didn't, he knew it would cause great grief to his father. So Reuben pleads, and, and he, so the boys, okay, let's throw him in the cistern. So they, and, but what was Joseph's response? It, it, as the story unfolds in Genesis, and you can look this up in Genesis 37 and read the whole chapter up to Genesis 42 and 37 through 42 and the whole, you know, Joseph gets down into Egypt and he actually becomes the governor of Egypt and then eventually his brothers have to come to him for food and they don't know him, but he knows them and the whole story. But they, he pleaded with them, don't do this, please don't leave me here to die, please take me home to my father and, and they wouldn't listen. And what did they do? Well, after they throw him into this cistern, they sit down to eat their bread. Look at Genesis 37, 25. And so here is what the rich are doing 
right now in the book of Amos in regards to all of Ephraim. Okay, they're not looking on those who are suffering and they won't suffer with. They will, they've turned their backs on anyone who has any kind of grief and they refuse to have any empathy. They refuse to have any compassion on the weak and the suffering and those who are poor and need help. No, I, you know, they, they're, they're, they don't even present or future or of any individual or of a nation. It's like, no, we, we have plenty to eat. We have lots of food. We have lots of ointments. We can entertain ourselves. Pleasure, comfort, ease. And we don't have to worry about all those people out there because you see, and, and again, there's a certain complacency in their minds that obviously because we have all these things, God has blessed us with all these things and he's blessed us. And so those people out there just aren't worthy. Okay. And so this is, as the, as the pagans had said, seize joyous the present hour and leave the future. So don't worry about the future. Let's just eat, drink, and be merry. That was the pagan saying. And that's what, how these men in Amos 6 are living. That's how they're living, okay? But the prophet recounts, they stretched themselves listlessly, ate choice food, sang, glee, sang glees, gleeful songs, drank deep, anointed themselves with the best of ointments, and grieved not themselves for the suffering of their own flesh and blood, their own kin, or the people of their nation. It followed of necessity from the rest. Luxury shuts out suffering. When we're living in luxury, we have an ability, a great ability to ignore the suffering around us because any vivid knowledge of or dwelling upon suffering must, in, it will disturb our luxury, okay? It disturbs our ease. Selfish wealth persuades itself that there is no suffering. Selfish wealth persuades itself that there is no suffering lest it should be forced to think of it. It will think distress, the stress is too little so that it can relieve itself. Oh, don't worry about it. It's going to take care of itself, that problem. Or, you know, as though it was, it was best relieved by its own luxuries. Um, what? So what luxuries are there in suffering? <laughs> you know? And it will, it, it doesn't want to hear the details. It's not going to admit the grief, right? Merciless is the own daughter of pleasure. Funny thing. Merciless is the daughter of pleasure. When we start indulging our flesh, we get less and less concerned about the needs of those around us. And by the way, less and less concerned about our own spiritual need. This was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Pride, fullness of bread, and careless ease had she and her daughters, and the hand of the poor and the needy, she strengthened not. See Ezekiel 16.49. So when we have this luxury, we don't concern ourselves for the poor. And we'll be back after this break with more on commentary on this Amos 6.6. 6 and what, I'm serious, Amos 6, yeah, 6, where they were not grieved over the breach over the destruction, the affliction of Joseph. What is, what is the prophet telling us? Don't go away, be back. Please let your friends and family know about this and invite them to join us. 
Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, the 14th of October. And you won't be able to call in because this is not a live show. It's pre-recorded. But um, <clears throat> you can always ask questions on the app. And I do try and answer them. Um, believe it, I got a little behind sometimes when our grandson is staying with us full time. Um, I don't get to the uh, questions right away. Please, if I didn't get to your question, ask it again. Um, and I have gotten to some, I've gotten all the way back to September and I'm pretty much caught up, I think. So, <laughs> but if someone's has been missed, please just ask it again. So we have this, um, in, in Ezekiel sixteen forty nine. um, this is the iniquity of thy, of, of thy sister Sodom, pride, fullness of bread and careless ease had she and her daughters and the hand of the poor and the needy she strengthened not so saint john chrysostom says about this he says you see how the prophet blames a delicate life for in these words he accuses not covetousness he's not talking about wanting what belongs to other people okay he's talking about prodigality only prodigality, you know, from prodigal, the prodigal son, the prodigal son um, being prodigal, which is being wasteful and extravagant in spending, like the prodigal son, right? That's why he called the prodigal son, because he was wasteful and extravagant. And you eat to excess, but Christ, not even for his need. What Chrysostom does now is he compares the way we behave sinfully in our luxury to the way Christ was when he was on earth. And this, remember, what we do to the least of our brothers, we do to Jesus Christ. So when the poor are suffering, we're supposed to see Christ in them. So we eat to excess, but Christ not even for his need. Thou various cakes, he not so much as dry bread. Thou drinkest choice wines, but on him thou hast not bestowed so much as a cup of cold water in his thirst. Thou art on soft embroidered beds. He is perishing with the cold. But then the banquets, clear from covetousness, yet they are accused because thou dost all beyond thy need. You're indulging yourself beyond your need. You're not covetous. Oh, no, you're not covetous. You have all this stuff, but you're using it beyond your need. Why, to him thou givest not even his need, and that living in luxury on what is his. The fathers of the church and the saints have taught us that if we have an excess of this world's goods, God has given it to us to help the poor. And as a matter of fact, if we're living in luxury and not taking care of the poor, we're stealing. And danger, by the way, we can't get into heaven with stolen goods. Good time to take inventory what is it that I have that's in excess? I need to start giving to the poor and taking care of the needs of the poor. And by the way, no, don't look to the government to do this. And you can pray, you can ask God that since we do have to pay taxes, that our taxes is actually used to help the poor, but the welfare system doesn't help the poor. It actually impoverishes people, and it has. So it usually takes away the human dignity. So back again. Now, this is, we're going to continue now and go on to other fathers of the church in regards to, but they are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. And by the way, more literally, they are not sick. 
not just grieve, but they're not sick inside over the breach or the wound of Joseph, not just the affliction, but the breach or the wound of Joseph. That's the literal translation. The words bring out the irony of their position. Immersed themselves in a vortex of pleasure, they are unconcerned by the thoughts of the breach or wound in the body politic. What is he referring to? The impending ruin, the signs of which the prophet can only too clearly discern, though they are invisible to the self-satisfied political leaders of the nation. Okay, so... What did we have in the beginning of Amos? I pointed out. You have God's judgment on the world, God's judgment on different nations, God's judgment on the pagans, God's judgment on Judah and Israel. Because of what? Because of their sins. And God will punish their sins. And what is that punishment? They're going to lose everything they had. And at the end, he says there, you will be the first to go into exile. You who have the most, you who are enjoying the most luxury, you're going to be the first to go into exile. By the way, and this is true, go and read the prophets. Go read about the exile. Who was sent into exile? It wasn't the poor. The poor were left in the land. They didn't go into exile. It was the rich. It was the influential. It was the kings and their princes and their, their um, consultants and their uh, advisors and the rich people, the wealthy. They were the ones who were taken into exile first. Eventually, yes, sometimes the kings would come back and take the poor, but not all of them. They always left some of the poor in the land to farm the land. So are we, are we sick over this wound, over the breach? Do we see that he's referring to the suffering of Joseph in Genesis, but, but that suffering of Joseph continues in the people of Israel, in Ephraim. Do you see that while you live in luxury, there are people around you who are living in poverty, and while you are sinning and indulging yourself, there are people who don't even have enough food to eat. But in addition to that, do you see that they're starving for the word of God because the priests of the temple became involved in this debauchery and in this luxury, and they weren't preaching the word of God to the people. So the people are not only starving for physical food, they're starving for the word of God. And when we get complacent in our luxury, we don't see it. So are we sick over the breach of the wound of Joseph? Over the breach of Joseph, over the wound of Joseph, okay? Or are we just self-satisfied? You know, everything's going to be, you know, fine. And, and if you want to know that you know, the breach of the wound applied to the nation, Isaiah 30, 26, Jeremiah 6, 14, Jeremiah 8, 21, Jeremiah 10, 19, Jeremiah 14, 17, Jeremiah 30, 12, Jeremiah 30, 15, Nahum 3, 19, Lamentations 2, 13. So you have this, and, and, these, and all of these passages talk about the hurt. You know, um, let my eyes stream with grief, with tears, day and night over the great wound of the virgin daughter of my people over her incurable wound. She will be chastised for her sins. We will all be chastised for her, our sins. Are we grieving that we have offended God and we need to repent of our sins? So this breach 
and it's not, it's not, it's, it's the nation too. And that's, if you go to Isaiah 30, 26 and Jeremiah 6, 14 and Jeremiah 8, 21 and Jeremiah 10, 19 and Jeremiah 14, 17 and Jeremiah 30, 12 and, and Jeremiah 30, 15. And you look at these passages, they talk about the wound and the breach and this reality of people living in luxury and ignoring the need, the need to repent of their sins and to start living a life where they don't use everything they have of this world's goods that's available to them, but they share with the poor and also they make sure that the poor hear the word of God. And it's interesting. You know, it talks about wine in bowls, right? Well, what's interesting about what the word that's used there, misrequim, It means the sacrificial bowls used in libations, okay, for the sprinkling of blood in Exodus 38, 3, Numbers 7, 13, 1 Chronicles 28, 17, 2 Chronicles 4, 12, and 22, Zechariah 9, 15, and Zechariah Zechariah 14, 20. So these vessels, the luxurious and sacrilegious princes have employed in their feasts, proving thus their impiety and their excess. Look at Daniel 5.2. Do you remember Daniel 5.2 where King Darius, I think it was Darius, has the vessels. He had captured the vessels of sacrifice from the temple in Jerusalem and he has them brought. He's having a big feast and he's getting drunk and he has those vessels brought in and he starts drinking wine from them and having his, all his courtiers drink wine from the sacred vessels. The, the consecrated vessels that were for the sacrifice were for the worship of the Lord. And a hand appears and writes on the wall and none of his... Chaldean, Babylonian um, advisors can read it. So the prophet Daniel is brought in and Daniel tells him, (laughs) he says, you've offended God. Your kingdom's been weighed and you've been judged. What you did was wrong. And you're going to be punished for it. And the king doesn't put Daniel to death for that. He wants to give him all kinds of gifts. But he understands. And that very night, the king died, if I remember the story correctly. Anyway, Daniel 5, 2. You can read it and you can uh, email me and tell me I made a mistake. And that's good. If I did, it's fine. But but the point is, these vessels were used for divine service. And now the princes and the priests are using them for their own pleasure. They're drinking out of them. Not so good. Not so good. Okay? <clears throat> and then they're anointing themselves with oil. Well, what's interesting, in Israel, when, when you were fasting and praying and, and repenting of your sins, you weren't supposed to anoint yourself in oil. See Ruth 3.3 3 and 2 Samuel 14.2. Remember Ruth, and um, you don't anoint yourself, and Judith, remember, go to Judith and read Judith. She, you fast, and sa- or, or Esther, you fast in sackcloth and ashes. If you're, if, you're, if you're asking the Lord to have mercy on you for your sins, you don't anoint yourself. You don't, you don't luxuriate your body. You allow your body to suffer, to feel when we fast, when we allow our bodies to suffer, it's supposed to remind us of how much our soul is suffering from our lack of God. When we sin, we cut God out. If mortal sin, yes, God's life is dead in our soul. Even venial sin, though, makes our soul sick. So we, we discipline our bodies so that we can feel in our own flesh what our soul is suffering, 
Our soul is spirit, so we don't feel it physically. But if we fast and don't anoint ourselves, then we come to recognize, wait a minute. You know, it's like people who don't want to go to confession, but once a year. Well, honey, don't take a bath for a year. And you're all like, what? This woman is crazy. Well, you don't go to confession, but once a year, that's your soul. You're not giving it a bath. And by the way, if, if, if you're in mortal sin, your soul is dead. But, you know, if, if it's venial sin, it's, it's dirty and it's sick. You know, so don't go to the doctor and don't take care. Try, don't do those things for your body. If you think it's okay, you know, to do that to your soul, what about your body? What is it going to be, you know, it, how much more grievous is it for your soul if you don't um, uh, take care of your soul? So, but they're anointing themselves with all these oils and they're not grieved over the affliction of Joseph. And, and here the, the commentator, the father of the church is commenting, the coming ruin of the 10 tribes affects them not. In their selfish and voluptuousness, they have no sympathy with the calamity and suffering and they shut their eyes to the coming evil. So there's more to come. What is this affliction of Joseph to which they have closed their eyes and refuse to see? Don't go away. We'll be back. And please let your friends and family know and share this Bible study with everyone you know. God bless you. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome. Welcome back. And again, Terry's not with me in the studio. Um, I'm... I'm you're with my guardian angel and the Holy Spirit, I hope, and I hope the Holy Spirit touches you and your guardian angels enlighten you. And I want to give a shout out there to Matthew Arnold and the commentary he gave on, on presumption, which is interesting because that's what's going on here, actually. These princes who have all this, they have all this excess of worldly goods and they have no concern for anyone around them and they're indulging themselves. And in their own minds, they're thinking, well, obviously I have all this stuff because I've been blessed by God. And so God and all those other people, you know, it's like the Pharisees in the Gospels where they talk about these, all these other people who believe in Jesus, but they're condemned anyway. You know, <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, no, you know, no, 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 no. If you have more than you need of the world's goods, there is to share. Don't presume. We can never, none of us can ever presume that we've made it, that we are, we are, we've got it home free. We're, we, we are done. We've won it until we're, we're dead and have been judged. And we know, and God has, once God has said, you're going to heaven, <laughs> Then, then you know you made it, <laughs> okay? No presumption. So we're talking here about Amos 6.6 6 and the affliction of, um, of Joseph. And part of that affliction is because of the sins of the nation, God is going to judge them. And the 10 tribes in the north are going to go into exile. And these men who are wealthy are totally ignoring the signs of the times. They're acting like, you know, I, the, the life is going to go on like this. We're going to continue to have our wealth and our, our well-being, and we're going to have all of our stuff, and we'll get to eat, eat, drink, and be merry, and we're just going to have a great old time. And it's like, no, it's all going to come to an end. And you will be the first to go into exile, the Lord tells them at the end of this passage. So are we suffering? Do we feel the affliction, okay? Um, and again, it's, it, it, it's, it's that, that uh, the affliction of Joseph is most likely, it's a proverbial Israel, in, in, that would have been used by the prophets as a reference to what happened to Joseph in Genesis 37. 
through 42. You know, look at, look at that, Genesis 37 through, through 42 and all the suffering of Joseph. And yet Joseph recognized that his suffering was, was for good. And that was a good thing for Joseph, but um, his brothers had a lot of repenting to do, right? So, and, and again, this, when we forget God, we become reckless and licentious and we indulge in debauchery. And that's, that's you know, brought out here. You know, these, these men who lie on their beds of ivory and stretch themselves out on their couches and eat lambs from the flocks and fatlings from the falls. And it says, who prattle to the tune of the harp like David, they invent stringed instruments. What's interesting here is the word prattle, um, it comes from paret in Leviticus, and it's, um, it's, a, it's an Arabic, is to throw away useless words about, it's about to gossip. It's about gossip. In other words, so when they're singing at these banquets, they're singing, they're gossiping, they're singing songs about other people and making fun of them, or idle songs and idle words, okay? And the, inter- the word they use there for instruments are actually the instruments that David invented for the use in the worship of God. So just like they're drinking out of bowls, the bowls of lamentation, they're using the musical instruments of the temple as instruments to indulge themselves and to gossip and make up idle songs of gossip towards other people. And it's not, it's not a good thing, okay? They're playing upon the stringed instruments, but, but what David invented for the worship of God, th- these princes are worshiping their God. And what is their God? Their belly. Remember when Paul says that in one of his letters? Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame. This could be any of us. Okay? Are we grieved over the ruin of Joseph? Are we grieved over the lack of the word of God? Are we grieved over the suffering of the poor? Are we grieved over the crime of induced abortion, whether it be chemical or surgical? Are we grieved over the destruction of the family? Are we grieved over the use of artificial contraceptions, which destroy the family and destroy the dignity of the human person and divide what God joined together in marriage? Are we grieved over human trafficking? Are we grieved over the injustices. You know, we talk about slavery as if it were a past thing. When you sin, you're a slave of sin. Anyone who sins is a slave of sin, and no slave has a permanent place in his father's household. And so many children, women and children, are being sold into slavery in our world. And and why? Because men want to live licentious lives. They want to live for pleasure. They've given up God and turned their back on God. And this didn't just start in the 20th century. You know, the Enlightenment, what was the Enlightenment all about? The Enlightenment was about, oh, let's replace God with science because science will enlighten us. Oh, gee, and we'll know the mysteries of the universe. Well, wait a minute, who made the universe? Who's going to reveal the mysteries of the universe? And yes, men can discover a lot. I mean, are you a quantum, you know, physics? Have you studied quantum mechanics? Are you a physicist, you know, and you can, you know, but, but the deal is, yeah, we can understand some things, but only God knows the real mystery. And God is the one who made it all. And when we throw him out, <laughs> well, you know what? <laughs> we, become, we become wicked 
self-centered, selfish, and we begin to glory in our shame, and our shame is sin, in our own indulgence. And we're no longer, we no longer suffer over the, the ignoring of God in our society. And by the way, this is a grave evil. God is God and we are not. God made us. And we have an obligation to God as our creator and as our father to love him and to make him first. God is God and we are not. He is the one. And, and everything is supposed to be ordered to him, not to ourselves in our own pleasure. And so are we grieved that God has been thrown out of our society? And then as a result of God being thrown out of our society, and by the way, the family is under attack because the family is a living image of the life, the inner life of the Trinity. St. John Paul II gave us this insight that God is the original family because in God there is fatherhood, there is sonship, and the essence of the family, which is love, the Holy Spirit. And so God is not a solitude unto himself. He's a community of love and life. The Father from all eternity has this one word he speaks of perfect knowledge of himself. And that, that word is a perfect image of himself. And that word is so real. It's a person. It's his son. He begets his son from all eternity. And the son is eternally generated by the Father. And the Father and the son come back together and embrace. And their love is so real that their love is a person, the Holy Spirit. And there's only one God. There are three divine persons in God. And God didn't reveal himself as a trinity of persons in the beginning because we wouldn't have understood. Look at the Old Testament. Look at the people, the pagans around the Jews. They're, the pagan societies were rife with the worship of multi, multitude of gods. And the fathers of the church said that these multitude of gods were inspired by Satan to cause confusion. Now, God, Satan never saw God face to face by the way. He had to pass the test to get to heaven. If he had seen God face to face, he would have been so compelled to love him that he wouldn't have had a choice. God gave him a choice. You will have mystical knowledge of me. And with that mystical knowledge, knowing that I am the source of your being, that I am all good, all beauty, all truth, all love, all joy, you have to make a choice. Are you going to do my will or your will? And a third of the angels followed Lucifer in rebelling against God. They never saw God face to face. Only the good angels see God face to face and know him as he is. But God revealed his plan that his son would become man. They didn't know when or where. That was hidden from them. And so they rejected God and they try and get men to reject God. So you have God taking his time. In the Old Testament, it's clear that God is our father. And he speaks as a father. When Israel was a child, I loved him. Out of Ephraim, I called my son. As a father stoops and teaches his child how to walk, so I lifted you to my cheek and held you. Beautiful imagery. I mean, there's, and God, God, there's hints of the Blessed Trinity. I mean, it's there in the Old Testament, but it's not explicit. So God reveals himself as father in the Old Testament. God is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord. Therefore, you shall love the Lord your God with your whole heart, mind, soul, with all your strength and will. And then in the New Testament, the Son of God becomes visible. He takes to himself a human nature and lives among us, and he reveals the Father to us. Only the Son can reveal the Father. 
Only the Son. We can't know the Father without the Son revealing him. And so the Son reveals the Father to us. And when the Son goes back to heaven, the Father and the Son send the Holy Spirit. Are we grieved that God is not the center of our world? Are we grieved when God is not the center of our family? Are we grieved when God is not the center of our own very self? When we get distracted by the things of this world or our own desires and we start bickering and fighting and getting jealous and and hateful toward other people because they don't want to do things our way and we get lazy and complacent and start feeling sorry for ourselves because life is so hard and nobody understands me. Well, God understands us and he loves us. We need to make him the center. And that's what these men in Amos are not doing. They see their material blessings as their salvation. Just like the Enlightenment wanted to see science as man's salvation. Well, I'm sorry, honey. Science without God is pretty pitiful. And man without God is absolutely horrifying. Look at the images that people are putting in their front yards right now for Halloween. The horrifying, ugly images. God is not ugly. God is beauty. He is truth. He is goodness. He is love. He is the source of all beauty, truth, and goodness. The source of all love and life. So are we grieved? Are we grieved over this wound? Are we grieved over the great destruction which overwhelms the virgin daughter of our people? over her incurable wound? Are we grieved over our sins and are we repentant? Don't go away. We are going to be back with more on this Friday with Bible with the Barbers. Thank you for joining us. Now back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome. Welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, October the 14th. Thank you for joining us. This is a pre-recorded show. I want to again thank Suzanne, a listener and a great benefactor of ours and her husband, Rob, for asking this question about Amos 6. You know, I, thank you, Suzanne. And, and thank you to those of you who ask questions. Oftentimes, I, you know, I do this study, but I don't think of questions and specific things don't jump out at me. But when people ask and then I have to do the research, it's fascinating. It's incredible. And to see how God is speaking to us through his word and how multifaceted every passage is. This is just one passage in Amos and it's not that long. And here we are, we're coming up on the end of this hour and we're still not done. And there's so much more that could be said. But, but the whole thing is, you know, she asked about that specific phrase, you're not grieved over the, the um, excuse me, I lost it there, over the ruin of Joseph, over the wound of Joseph. And again, that's, I, we've mentioned that that's a reference to Joseph in, in the book of Genesis and how his brothers treated him. But it's also in the present moment, what is it? Well, it's referring to Ephraim and, and all of the people. And it's referring not only to Israel, the northern kingdom, 10 tribes, but it's also a warning to Judah. And, and here's the deal. We, we have um, some more commentary from St. Cyril of Jerusalem and Gregory Nazianzen and St. John Chrysostom that, um, okay, so they're, they're, 
these people are carrying on and they're just indulging their flesh and having a good old time. And they, they're not, have no compassion for the affliction of Joseph, though they ought to have been kind to those who met with distress before them and by mercy have obtained mercy. As the fir tree should howl because the cedar has fallen. Zechariah 11.2. And so when you see the punishment of those around you, and they had, and that's, you look at the beginning of the book of Amos and, and the talk about the punishment of the pagans and, and God's judgment. We're not supposed to say, oh, those people, they were such sinners. And isn't it, you know, remember like that in the gospel when they say, oh, well, you know, the people who the tower at Siloam fall out or fell on or the people whom Herod mixed the blood of their, their own blood with the blood of their sacrifice, you know, oh, they were such horrible sinners. And Jesus is like, watch out. No, we don't rejoice in the sufferings of others. We're supposed to learn from it. When God chastises other nations, when God chastises other people around us, people within our own family maybe, maybe ourselves, we're supposed to learn from it. It's a learning moment. God doesn't chastise us because he takes delight in causing suffering. By the way, (laughs) no, okay? We should be instructed by our neighbor's chastisement. And we should be led by others' ills to regulate our own life. So when we see it, we say, it's like, wait a minute, that person, well, what, what were they doing in their life that they shouldn't have been doing? And what am I doing in my life that I need to correct? What do I need to do in my life that I need to correct? Having the advantage of being saved by their predecessor's fate instead of being themselves a warning to others. If we don't turn to God and have do penance, we too will suffer the fate. You know, it's like, hey, honey, since the 1920s, 1917, 1919, and the Bolshevik Revolution, we have watched communism take Russia, Eastern Europe, Asia, South America, Latin America, and many other places in the world. And we look at the suffering of all those people. Are we, are we listening to the warning? Remember, they aren't the greatest sinners in the world. God's warning us, give up your sins. Our Lady at Fatima asks us, pray the rosary every day. For the conversion of Russia, Russia will spread her errors throughout the world. You can have the state as your God. And isn't that happening right now in the United States of America? Oh, it will never happen here. Guess what, honey? Are we going to turn to God now before it's too late? And maybe it is too late. I don't know. But let's turn to God anyway. Let's turn away so that when if we're punished and we die, at least we'll go to heaven. <laughs> and we won't be cursing God. Let's turn to him now while we can. Turn to the Lord while it's still day. Don't wait for the darkness, okay? And then we have from St. John Chrysostom, um, they suffered nothing in the affliction of Joseph, meaning by Joseph the whole people. And again, the inhabitants of Eden went not forth to beware the house next to them. So you, they saw the sufferings of the people around them, knowing those people were being punished for their sins, but they didn't wail over those sufferings. They weren't mourning them. For although they are justly punished, yeah, yeah, sin is always justly punished. When God punishes us, his punishments are just. But God willeth that we should console and have compassion on those who suffer and not rejoice or insult them. For it is the Lord that punishes And the Lord warns us, do not this rejoicingly, nor take pleasure in their punishment, 
for I do not will the death of the sinner. Ezekiel 18.32, the Lord does not will the death of the sinner, but rather that he turn to me that he might live. God wants us to turn back to him. Go to confession, and I know someone asked that question too. Well, what do you mean I have to go to confession? You know, if I've confessed my sins to the Lord. For Catholics, we know that mortal sin, uh, under ordinary circumstances, is forgiven in the sacrament of confession. And um, venial sins, we don't have to confess, but we can confess them. Devotional confession is very helpful to prevent us from falling into mortal sin. And from we should, we should examine our conscience every day. We should be repenting every single day, you know, once or twice a day of all the sins that we have committed that day. The Lord doesn't want us to sin. And he wants us to be like himself. He is merciful. He doesn't rejoice in the death of the sinner. He doesn't rejoice in punishing the sinner, but he is just. And if the sinner won't repent, he has to punish. And even if we've repented of our sins, there's still a temporal punishment due to it. There's a damage that's been done that needs to be repaired. So we're supposed to turn to the Lord and we're, we should mourn over the sins of everyone, our own sins, first of all, and the sins of it. And we, as the United States of America, we should need to mourn for the sins of our nation. And especially the sin, the crime of induced abortion, whether it be chemically induced or surgically induced, where little babies are deliberately killed, so much so that now you have governors of certain states twisting scripture and saying, oh, well, we have to offer women abortions because we have to be concerned for the least of our brothers. What a twisting of scripture that is. The least of our brothers are those who are absolutely defenseless. And women who are in crisis pregnancy, honey, 90% of them, I would say, from my experience in the pro-life movement, don't want to kill a baby. And they especially don't want to kill their own baby. It is very abnormal for a mother to use her child as a, a weapon and say, I'm going to kill this baby to get back or to get even at somebody. Or I'm going to kill this baby just because it's not convenient to me. Could a mother forget her baby? Be without compassion for the child of her womb. Even if she could forget, the Lord says through the prophet, I, the Lord, will never forget you. He doesn't forget us and he doesn't want us to die in our sins. So the wound of Joseph refers back to Joseph and, his, and the way his brothers treated him, but it refers also to the punishment that the people are going to receive for their sins, for having turned away from God, and, and, and for the, the poor, the poor who suffer and want and go hungry. And in those poor, we're supposed to see Christ and serve Christ in them. When I have more than I need of this world's goods, I am supposed to provide for the want of my neighbor. Yes, I have an obligation. I have an obligation. Scripture makes it clear. And I should never, never rejoice in the punishment of someone else's sins. I can glorify God for his justice, but repent of my own sins and pray for all sinners that they be converted. And this is what, isn't this what Our Lady begged for at Fatima? Pray for the conversion of sinners. It wasn't just Russia. It was for the conversion of all sinners. And she said, stop sinning. Stop offending God who was already too much offended. Pray, pray, pray. Do penance. Give up your sins. Do your daily duty. You know, people say, well, what is God's will for me? What is God? God's will is that you do your daily duty. 
You know, keep the Ten Commandments. If you're Catholic, go to the sacraments. Go to Mass every Sunday at least. Go to Mass as frequently as you can. Do your duty toward the Lord. That means praying every single day, examining our conscience, repenting of our sins, turning back to the Lord, acknowledging our poverty before God. I can do no good without God's help. No good, no true good is ever done in this world without the help of God. Do I grieve over the wound in my people? Do I grieve over the suffering of the poor? Do I grieve over the suffering of the children who are being killed in their mother's womb? Do I grieve over the mothers who have been violated and have been abused twice in many instances because someone told them that the answer to their problems was to kill their child? And they know it's not true. But no matter what we've done, we can turn to the Lord and ask him for mercy. Even abortionists can convert and repent. Even, you know, women who have had abortions, it's okay. God loves you. Tell your little children you're sorry. Look at Abby Johnson. There are so many women. You know, even the, you know, the Jane Doe of, of uh, Jane, what, Roe versus Wade, the, the whoever, Roe of Roe versus Wade, and, and even the Jane Doe of, Doe versus Dalton. Both of those women were used by Planned Parenthood, and they since became, after that, they became pro-life advocates. They didn't want abortions. Neither of them did. That's not what they were looking for. They just became convenient objects for people who wanted to promote the killing of little children. In the state of California, we need to beg God to pour out his mercy upon us. Pour out his mercy upon us. Pour out his mercy upon us so that we can stop the killing of the children in our, in our nation and especially in our state of California. Pray the rosary. Turn to the Lord. Pray the rosary. There's going to be, by the way, this Saturday, the 15th at noon, in several places, Claremont Park, there's one in Claremont, Covina Park, there's going to be a, a rosary rally. So come and join that rosary rally. Join those rosary rallies at noon. If you can't be there in person, join in spirit. And thank you for all of those of you who listen to these programs. Share these programs. Share Virgin Most Powerful Radio with your friends. Share this Bible study. Let everyone know about it. You know, if you, the listener, don't share it, how are the people going to find out? So share it. And I am doing Bible studies on Tuesday night again. For those of you who are local, um, 7 o'clock in the chapel, uh, we're doing Bible studies on Tuesday nights. I want to thank all the radio stations that pick us up. I want to thank our donors, those of you who make it possible for us financially to continue this apostolate, those of you who offer your sufferings and your prayers for us, which, by the way, are incredibly important to continue this apostolate because if this is God's work, it will be watered through your suffering and through our suffering. And we thank you. And we, we just want to praise the Lord and give him thanks, thank him for his holy word. And we want to grieve over this, our own sins and the sins of our nation and the and and over the punishments of others and beg God to bring the sinner back so that he doesn't have to suffer eternal death.